So, about a year ago, I was helping lead a small group of, um, there was about 50 to 60 guys registered to this small group that was out of 12 Stone Church. And shortly after I had really surrendered my life to the Lord, about a year and a half after that, I came home for a year. I was rehabbing and training and stuff, and uh, I had known um, a couple of these guys that I knew growing up. I knew they were leading the small group, and I knew that that was something that I really needed uh, in my life, and I needed to be a part of a community. So I started attending this small group. A couple months later, they asked me to start helping lead this small group. So there's about five or six of us with anywhere from 20 to 30 guys that would kind of show up on a given week. Um, and that was really where the Lord started showing me kind of how to help lead a small group setting. And then about a year ago, right out a year ago, actually, um, there was some stuff that happened, um, some life events that I knew the Lord was calling me to step away from that small group that I was hoping to lead. And so I called. I just told him, I said, you know, I can't do it anymore. I know my heart's not in it. There's other things that are distracting me, and I can't, I'm not going to be able to, to give you guys what, you know, you deserve. So through a couple of weeks off, the Lord started showing me that there was a bunch of guys in this church, my age, high school, college kind of age guys that really had no one pouring into them. They had nowhere to meet. They had nowhere to connect. They had nowhere to grow as young men. And so the Lord really started showing me all these young guys, um, really as they would just kind of come over and be hanging out at the house, that these guys needed someone. And I started talking to them, and they started sharing just how they were kind of tired of the mundane Sunday school type Bible studies where you're going to show up, we're going to read a passage. I want you to give me the answer that I think is best fit for a church environment but there was nothing getting real and raw. So the Lord said, I want you to be the one. Let's group these guys up and let's start sharing. Let's be real. Let's be authentic. Let's get raw. The conversations that are scary to have, those are the ones that I want you guys to have. So we started uh, meeting on Sunday nights, and the first week we were going to meet, it was right about this time last year, um, I was driving home from church on a Sunday afternoon, the day we were going to meet, and... I was like, man, I don't know what I'm doing. I've never done this before. I'd help kind of lead FCAs in college and, you know, even with this other small group. But there was people guiding me. There were people that were really kind of pushing it. And I was just kind of a filler. But this was something that I knew the Lord was really calling me to step out in obedience for. And I was like, I'm not qualified for this. I don't know what to do. I'm not prepared. I have no idea what we're even going to talk about tonight. So I almost called on the way home from church and was like, we're not doing it. We're done. Like, forget it. It's a bad idea. You know, I don't want to waste y'all's time. And I'm driving home, and the Lord said, what are you doing? I'm the one that's asking you to step out in obedience to do this. So if, you're gonna, if I'm calling you to step out in obedience, you're going to trust me that I'm going to take the reins, and I'm going to be the one that leads it. So I was like, all right, well, I guess we're going to have a small group tonight. So, but it was cool. So I, we started praying every single week when we met. Like, Lord, I, I'm not going to prepare something because I believe this is something that you want to really take the hold of and to lead and to run, and you just need somebody to set it up. So every week we showed up, a lot of the guys are here. They can attest to it that there was a lot of movement every single week. We had a guy surrender his life to the Lord. Guys are getting set free. I saw guys in October that were struggling heavily with things, and by the time I left in March, they were like, man, I'm freed up. We have so much freedom in this area because we met, we talked about it, we grew together, and we worked through stuff. So that was the first step of obedience that the Lord really showed me. If I'm calling you to do something, step out and do it. So as I prepared um, this past spring in March to leave for my first uh, spring training with the Royals, I, I knew that the Lord was 
putting in my heart again. He said, okay, I showed you that you can do it here at home with guys you already kind of know and are comfortable with. Now, as I lead you out into a whole nother group of people, a very sinful, dark, a very uh, just sin-driven, wicked community for the most part in the realm of baseball with all these peers, with all these guys that you want to impress and make a good appearance with, are you going to trust me and are you going to bring the word to these guys as well? So I knew going in, I'm like, man, I got to do this again. And so when we got to spring training, there were so many guys that are in the initial spring training that we met every Tuesday and every Friday for the first month. And as guys kind of got uh, called up or as, you know, extended started, we went to one day a week, but we'd have 15, 20 guys show up once, twice a week, just wanting to get real. And the Lord said, again, I'm not asking you to run it, just organize it. And then trust me that I'm going to show up and I'm going to run it. So consequently, because of that Bible study, I'm sitting here today because the Lord, as we started going through the book of Romans um, and extended for eight weeks, we went through the whole book, uh, book of Romans, which was pretty cool because it's my favorite book. I had read it multiple times and kind of read through it and underlined stuff. But, you know, I'd sit down with these guys and, you know, I would prepare, kind of try to write out what I thought Paul was sharing in the passages. And then we'd get down and we'd talk about it and we'd try to dive in and because a lot of these guys were either young believers or really didn't have any walk with the Lord at all. They'd kind of claim, yeah, I kind of have an understanding, but I don't really know. So I said, well, let's, let's figure out, if we're going to serve and honor the Lord, let's figure out who it is that we're trying to serve and honor. So we started diving into these passages, and the passage that we're going to read here in a little bit, um, it, it, the Lord started speaking to me and showing me and teaching me about it really without me even knowing what I was saying. It was one of those times where the Holy Spirit really did hijack the room like we prayed for every single week. Like, God, you got to show up. And he showed up and he just started speaking and moving. He started teaching me in my heart um, what it was that he wanted these guys to hear. Um, and so these, these Bible studies were huge for me. They were huge for, I know, a couple of the guys. Ash Russell, which is one of my teammates who is now um, living with us, and he's been with us for, I don't know, four or five months now. He was a part of that Bible study and he um, shared his testimony on video, which you guys are going to get to see. Hi, everybody here at the Cross. My name is Ash Russell. I've been coming to the church here since June now. I play baseball in the Kansas City Royals organization. Me and Benji um, have been teammates now for two years since he signed in 2016. We were out there together, and I could see that, that Benji was kind of the leader. He kind of was a godly man, and I kind of wanted to get to know who God was truly. Um, I knew I knew he was alive. I knew what he could do um, for people. I know that he's always been the ruler, but I never knew what it meant to truly have a relationship with him. Um, every Tuesday for about a month, month and a half, um, we were meeting in the hotel lobby or in the hotel cafeteria doing Bible studies. After a couple of weeks, I finally asked Benji myself if we could um, dive in a little bit deeper and if he could help me understand a little bit more. But I started to struggle with baseball a little bit. Um, there was a lot of anxiety, a lot of pressure that I had put on myself. Um, I was making mistakes right and left. I couldn't think straight. And in June of 2017, Tim came out there to visit the team, to talk with some guys, meet with some guys, and it just so happened that Tim kind of got a hold of me and asked me if I would like to come live with him. So June 19th, I started driving out here from Arizona and got here on June 21st, and 
on June 25th, I reached a point of surrender and I surrendered my life to Christ. Since then, I've really been freed up. Um, a lot of anxiety has disappeared. A lot of the pressure I've put on myself has disappeared. I've truly placed everything at the foot of the cross. I've, I've taken all the issues and baggage that I had, laid it down and put it in God's hands. Yeah. So these Bible studies that we were doing, you know, Ash was one of the guys that, you know, I'm going to get into more later on just about kind of the transformation we saw in him. But it was something that meant a lot to me. You know, I know it meant a lot to Ash. And so because we started going through it, like I said, this passage really stuck with me. And so, you know, like I said earlier, dad had been wanting me to kind of get up here and he wanted me to share. And I was like, absolutely not. I'm terrified of public speaking. Not my comfort, uh, comfort zone at all. But I knew once we started going through this, the Lord put a real passion in my heart for this. And so right towards the end of the season, I, was, I, I knew the Lord was asking me to step out in obedience once again. He said, are you going to trust me in something that's way bigger than you are? I've showed you that I'm worth it in a Bible study and in small groups. Now you're going to trust me to do it here. So here we are. I'm excited. And uh, let's get into it. So we're going to be in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And then if you want to thumb Revelations 3, we're going to go there in a little bit. I want to read through this first part of Romans and kind of break it down. It's just two short verses, but there's a lot that's packed into these two verses. So Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So uh, we got some notes in the bulletins, a couple of these words that I'm going to break down are in there, and you have them, you can make some more notes on them. But Paul starts out saying, brothers and sisters, he's addressing all of us at the church, the church in Rome. Paul says, all of you that are in Christ, men and women alike, I urge you in view of God's mercy. The word urge means to try and earnestly or persistently persuade someone to do something. So Paul is saying, I am desperately trying to convey to you the importance of this little bit right here. These two verses, it's small. I read over it and didn't realize the significance of it for, for years, multiple times reading through it. But he said, I so desperately and I earnestly want you to understand the importance and how powerful this passage is right here. So he says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. The word grace, two little defin uh, definitions here. It's thrown around in the church a lot. Grace and mercy, the word grace means God giving us something that we don't deserve. So a salvation through his sacrifice on the cross and eternal life with him is something that we gracefully are given. We do not deserve that at all, right? Having a connection and eternity with Christ is something that we do not deserve. So that is grace extended from God to us. Mercy is God withholding from us in compassion or forgiveness, something that we do deserve. So Reality is, as, as sin-born people, without God, we deserve eternal condemnation. We deserve separation from him from, from the time we're living through all eternity. We deserve to walk around each day heavy burden with guilt and shame because of things that we've done in our past. Right? But God says, or Paul's saying, God's mercy. So all this over here that we deserve, this crap that we need to, that we 
rightfully should walk around with every single day, God withholds from us because of his compassion and love for us. So he's saying, if for nothing else, look at this right here, if for no other reason, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. Paul says, I desperately, I desperately want you to know that all of this, it's the least you can do is because of that, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. I was, uh, for the last while, ever since really kind of mid-summer, I started reading through the Old Testament. And in Leviticus, Moses and the Israelites and all the people, after God, you know, brings the Israelites out of Egypt with Moses, um, there, there's a lot of different offerings that the people had to bring before the Lord. There was five different kinds of offerings that talks about in Leviticus that the people had to bring before the Lord. And there was a um, a burnt offering, a grain offering, fellowship, a sin offering, and a guilt offering. Each of these five offerings had extreme specifications on to how they were to be prepared to be acceptable for the Lord. And the kind of animal mattered, whether it was healthy or not, how old the animal was, where the animal was allowed to be killed, how much of the animal was supposed to be sacrificed inside the tabernacle, outside the tabernacle, who was allowed to do the sacrifice, how much grain, the yeast, the olive oil, there was a list a mile long that had to be specifically followed for God to see these offerings as qualified to the Lord. So I'm reading through these this summer. I'm like, man, it would be exhausting to follow the Lord back in the Old Testament. Like, first off, there's no way I'm going to remember to do all this. So I'm going to end up being worried the whole time. Like, oh, did that one count? Doing it again and again. And then my farm's running low on animals because I'm just killing them all to try to make these offerings. <laughs> so I'm reading through this. I'm like, Lord, how, how, would, how did these people even go about pleasing you? Because there was such a long list that went into it. And that was all in the old covenant law of Moses and the people before Christ came and died and sacrificed his life for us. So we are no longer under the old covenant of teaching that requires us to bring our best animal or our best grain and prepare it a certain way and kill it a certain way. Paul said, now that we're in Christ, brothers and sisters, all you guys, all that we have to do is surrender and sacrifice our lives before the Lord. That's it. That's all I want. I want all that you are laid out before me, and that's it. That's all I require of you. Paul says that this is holy and pleasing to the Lord. That's it. That's surrender right there. God, all that I am, I lay it before you. I sacrifice it. This is all I can bring. God, that's all I want. I can work with that. I can work with that. People a lot of times say, well, well, I need to fix me before I can go to God. Right? Like, man, I got a lot of work I need to do on myself before I can be presentable or be better to be offered in front of God. He says, no, 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 no. You don't got to go and try to fix yourself because first off, we're never going to be able to fully fix ourselves to be presentable to the Lord. The Lord says, I want to take you just as you are. I just need you to put your pride aside enough to say, okay, God, I need you. And let me do the cleansing in and through you. It's nothing that we do. We just have to get to that place of surrender and say, God, God, here I am. I can't fix myself anymore. So I lay it before you and I need you. Paul said, that is how we surrender to the Lord right there. Going on, he says that once we follow in this step of surrender and sacrifice, that that 
is how we truly and properly worship the Lord. And I hear a lot, um, you know, playing sports or, you know, we'll talk about, well, can we really worship God while we play baseball or can I worship God in my job or, you know, it says, whatever we do, do it as unto the Lord. Well, how do I worship the Lord in whatever I do? He says, Paul says, first off, before you can even think about trying to worship the Lord in your job or, or in sports or in day-to-day life, first off, you need to make sure that you're truly and properly worshiping the Lord with full surrender to your, in your life. Because we can further worship the Lord in, in song with Nick. We can do it uh, coming to church, listening to a sermon and service. We can honor him through prayer and worship him through prayer. But none of these methods of worship will even matter if your heart is not surrendered to the Lord. Because reality is, if you don't surrender, your heart's not in it in the first place, so what's the point? So before we worry about trying to, well, can I worship God trying to play a baseball game? So, well, are you first off, are you worshiping me with full surrender to your life? Because if you're not, then you're not going to be able to worship me with the blessings I've given you because your heart's not even going to be in it. So if we want to truly and properly worship the Lord, it's got to be through full, utter surrender and sacrifice to the Lord. Now, bear with me here. Who enjoys lukewarm, stale coffee in the morning? I love coffee, but I cannot stand if it's been sitting on the counter for three or four hours and it's stale. Or you sit down to dinner and mom brings out a plate of pizza that's been sitting outside on the counter for two days. It's stale, tastes bad, it's not satisfying. And we typically don't enjoy consuming food or drink that is stale or at room temperature. And I realize, for the sake of argument, there are certain things you do drink and eat at room temperature, but just for the sake of argument, work with me here. Revelations uh, 3:15 and 16 says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. Uh, you wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. God says, now, if you wouldn't be satisfied or you would not consume something that is stale or lukewarm, why do you expect me to be satisfied with you when you present your life to me at stale or a lukewarm temperature? Say it again. Why, if we're not satisfied with staleness and consuming something that is unsatisfying and tastes bad, why do we say, all right, Lord, here I am. I'm yours. but Man, I taste like crap. I'm not hot. I'm not on fire for you. I'm not cold. I don't want total separation from you. I'm giving you little bits and pieces, so it's kind of sprinkled in here right at a really untasteful state, and I want you to consume me and be satisfied with me. It's crazy, is it not? So God says, you got to pick one. You're either hot or you're cold. God said, I would rather you hate my guts and want nothing to do with me than for you to sit on the fence and say, God, I am all yours, almost. I almost want you to take all that I am. He said, you got to pick one. You're either in or you're out, and that's all. And for a long time, I compartmentalized the Lord, and I did the same exact thing. I think part of it was I wanted to try to convince myself that I was all in and that I'd really surrendered my life to the Lord while knowing there were certain things that I was kind of holding on to. And I think partially I was hoping that by convincing myself that I was all in, that I'd kind of trick God into believing, oh, man, he really snuck that one past me. He really is all in. But there's a lot of stuff that I was still hanging on to. 
And we'll say so often that, God, I'm all yours except for my weekend parties because I enjoy going out, I enjoy drinking, I enjoy smoking with my friends. I'm going to give you five days out of the week, but these one or two, just let me do my thing and I'll come back to you on Sunday, pull you out of the closet and try to patch up what I did the night before. We'll say, God, I'm all yours except for my self-image because I really care what people think about me and the way I look. I want to make sure I'm dressed in the nicest clothes. I got the nicest shoes and my car, my jewelry. I want people to think that I have this status and wealth and I am, man, I look cool. So God, you can have every bit of me except for my money and my finances, right? Like I'm the one that I go to work nine to five every day. I'm the one that puts in that time and effort at work. So why should I, why should I give you any control of the money that I make, that I earn? And we expect God to sit there and be like, oh, my bad, you're right. You did all that on your own. You gained all that. Your money, your wealth, your, your, your image that you have. I forgot, you did all that on your own. I'm just going to sit back here. I'm going to let you do your thing. And when you're ready for me and you think you need me, I'll be back in the back and you can holler at me and I'll come see what I can do for you. And we think, man, I got this whole surrender thing down. All right, like I qualify as a, as a, as a church Christian. And that's surrender. And I said, that's not it. You got to pick one. You got to be either in or you're out. I'm going to tell a story. This is... Honest to God, true story. I'm sitting up at church talking to y'all, so I, now would not be the time to lie. So I'm not going to. But a couple years ago, about a year, I think this was probably about a year and a half, two years ago. Shortly after I had surrendered, I was really struggling with what it means now and surrender, what it really means to trust the Lord. Like, How do I really trust you in my faith? And the biggest thing I was struggling with at the time was, I'd had a bunch of surgeries on my elbow. I was trying to play ball. I couldn't because I had three surgeries in 18 months. I was constantly in rehab. I left, I'd left uh, school when I was playing at Middle Tennessee and came home for a whole year just to try to rehab. So I'm out of school. I'm no longer even affiliated with a team. And I'm totally here by myself just trying to train and see if we can get anything out of my arm. So I'm constantly going to rehab by myself and praying like, Lord, God, like, I've got to have you heal my arm. Because I wake up some days and it feels like there is absolutely no end to this habitual cycle of you get healthy, you get hurt, you're back in rehab. I'm like, Lord, I just want to play. And so I was struggling so bad with trusting the Lord to really heal my arm. And in Matthew 21, 18 through 22, and Matthew 17, 20 through 21, you can read about it um, later. But it basically talks about that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, or if you have faith with zero doubt in your heart that you can look at a mountain and you can tell it to crumble and fall into the ocean and it will. Or you can look at a tree and tell it to wither and die like Jesus did. And he said, if you have faith and you do not doubt me, that that tree will wither and be dead. And so for weeks and weeks and weeks, I sat there and I was like, what is that? Like, is that literal? Like, can I really go outside and walk up to this tree that's been in my yard since the day I was born and be like, all right, Lord, watch this. Die and expect it just to fall over in my yard. And I struggled. I was like, Lord, what does that look like? Like, is that literal? Because if that's the case, 
there would probably be a lot less trees in the forest because guys like Smacker would walk up and be like, die, 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 (laughs) just to see the Lord work, which would be cool. (laughs) But I was like, man, is that even, is that even real? And I'm sitting in the, uh, I'm sitting in the, the deer stand one morning and I was hunting and the land we hunt on doesn't generally produce a whole lot of deer. I'm not getting to hunt with Jay Maxwell where he gets trophy bucks every weekend. And so we really got to be patient for the deer that we have. And it's bare next to none if we even get any. So I'm sitting in the stand one morning and I'm just, I'm pondering this over and over and over for the last weeks and weeks about, God, what does it look like to trust you and not doubt you? Because I don't know if I can and I don't even know how, even if I wanted to. And so I felt like the Lord said, try it. Test me and see what happens. So I sat up there. I said, okay. I said, I trust, Lord, I'm digging deep here, but I trust in my, in my heart without a shadow of a doubt that in the next 60 seconds, you're going to bring a deer out and I'm going to shoot it and kill it. And it was kind of one of those, I'm going to walk out and see if I can walk on water and hope I don't sink kind of moments. But I was like, Lord, I trust you. Bring me a deer and I guarantee you it's going to happen. So I sat there. One, two, three, four, counted up to 60. I said, all right, where's it at? And I started looking around. And I looked to my right, to my left, all through the trees. And I made my eyes back over. And a deer comes walking straight down the hill, right out to the side of me. Swear. Deer came out, killed it. Me and uh, my buddy, we, we cleaned it, got it all set up, got all the meat from it. And I kind of forgot what had happened in the deer stand that morning. And I'm driving back home that afternoon excited, beautiful afternoon. The Lord grabbed me my truck. He said, okay, I showed you that I'm worth trusting and that I'm worth putting your faith in with something so insignificant as killing a deer that has no worth or value to you whatsoever. But I proved that my faith and trust is worth you putting in. So now why won't you trust me with things in your life that actually matter, like your faith and healing in your body and things that have significance to you? I was like... All right. So from that day on, I started moving forward. I was like, Lord, all right. It's scary. I don't know totally how to not doubt at times because we're human and I'm going to have my my moments of just hesitation. But Lord, I'm going in to everything now saying, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. As hard as it is, you show me that you're worth it. And so I trust you. A couple months later, I'm, I'm in the gym and I was going to get tattoo over one of my uh, surgery scars that says Jehovah Rapha, which means God is my healer. And I would go last year when I was home, I'd work out in the morning, I'd come to church, and then I was going to get the tattoo that afternoon. So I'm in the gym, minding my business, working out, and I was going to get the tattoo put above my scar because deep down in my mind, it was still having issues, it was still struggling, and I was scared. I was like, man, what if they got to go back in and do this again? So I'm in the middle of my workout, and out of nowhere, the Lord really grabbed a hold of me again. And this might sound weird to some of y'all, but I believe that the Lord speaks to us in ways and in things that we're passionate about. So for me, I'm passionate about tattoos, passionate about hunting, baseball and sports and lifting. So I believe the Lord will speak to us in things and areas we're passionate about. So he started speaking to me in a place I'm passionate about the gym and about something I'm passionate about. I love his tattoos. And he said, so you're going to go get a tattoo later, put on your body that says God is my healer but you're not going to put it over your scar because you're scared that something's going to happen and I have to go back in there and do another surgery, aren't you? And I'm in the middle of my workout, and I'm like, man, I'm just trying to mind my own business. 
I'm trying to get in, get out of here. And it was in the middle of something I was doing, and I just felt this just grip and this grind on my heart. He said, why are you going to do that? I showed you a couple months ago with that deer that I'm worth you putting my trust and faith in. So if you're going to put a stamp on your body for the rest of your life, because that ink's not going anywhere, that you trust that I really am going to heal your body, and I'm going to be God of healing over your life, not just in your elbow, but your whole life, then put it over your scar and trust that I'm going to seal that scar shut forever. So I was like, all right. So I went that afternoon, I got it put over my, my scar. And so through these series of events that the Lord has allowed me to see, after I reached a true point of surrender in my life, I was able to start moving forward and trust. And I believe that surrender and trust have to go hand in hand. That to surrender, it doesn't require trust. Surrender requires a sacrifice. But for you to move forward in your walk of the Lord after surrender, it requires trust. So after we, let me get back to where I was. So after we surrender, we sacrifice our lives to the Lord, and we see that this is how I truly and properly worship the Lord. Paul has a couple commands and things that he instructs us along our way. Verse 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So now when we begin to start walking in a new life and surrender before the Lord, Paul says, don't be conformed. Don't, don't listen and be scared to what the world's going to try to tell you to do once you start walking in the Lord. Right? They've never tasted and seen how sweet it is to walk and follow with me. So when you start walking with me and you start living out a new life with me, there's going to be a whole bunch of people that are going to try to tell you it is not worth the sacrifice and the constant list of do's and don'ts and the legalism that falls under following the Lord. All the time, people are going to say, man, it's just not worth it. Teammates, what are you doing? That Why do you even do that? Why do you worry so much about living each day trying to honor the Lord? Like, why would you not just come out with us? Because because that's not important. I've, I've tasted and I've seen how sweet it is to follow the Lord. So I'm not going to be swayed by your opinion of me because reality is you've never tasted how sweet it is. The Lord wants you to understand. He wants you to really know and feel what it's like to follow me, but you, you haven't tasted it yet. So I'm not going to be conformed and worried about what it is that you have to say because I trust in my heart what I'm doing is right. So he says, don't worry about what these people are going to try to tell you to do he said, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind and by the new mindset and the new heart that the Lord has placed inside of you once you reach a full point of surrender. The word transform means to make a thorough or dramatic change. So what Paul is saying is don't conform to what people are trying to tell you, but be dramatically changed by the new mind and the new heart that I've set inside of you. When we uh, start to follow Christ, we, are, we begin to get radically changed from the inside out. And it's no surprise for those of y'all that have truly surrendered and sacrificed your life to the Lord. It's no surprise that once you start walking with the Lord, that things start to happen that you're not used to. Your, your life and the way you see things and the way you act and the way you talk is dramatically different from, from how it was before you surrendered. Right? Like I've known Ash now for a little over a year. And I look back from a year ago when we met up until June, when I left him for the season, he came and moved home with us uh, to be with uh, our family. 
I saw the way that he was living and acting and talking in May, June, earlier in the spring. And then I came home and he had surrendered his life full out, surrendered his life to the Lord once he got here. And I came back three months later. I was like, who is this? Who is this dude? Because he had surrendered and sacrificed his life to the Lord. And the Lord radically transformed the way he thought and the way he started living each day. He wasn't worried about what other people thought of him as much anymore. He didn't care about going out and trying to gratify and satisfy his needs. The things he would talk about, the things he would say were gone. They were done. The Lord transformed and radically grabbed the hold of his heart and his mind when he started walking with the Lord. And I was like, man, that's what it is right there. Like, I can, you can see it. And it's no, it's no shock that when it happens, because you're like, man, people say, man, I want to, there's something different about you. Yeah. In three months, three months, the Lord did something unbelievable in that dude's life because he said, God, I cannot run my life anymore. I've tried. I've tried to be the Lord over my life, and it's hard, and it sucks, and it's exhausting, and I can't do it anymore. i got to surrender to you. And our minds are transformed, and they're renewed because of what the Lord does to our hearts. If you are not able, this is just being quite frank, if you are not able to see a dramatic change in your life once you reach your point of surrender, then there's a good possibility you might want to go back and reevaluate at the beginning of this passage. Because the power and magnitude of who God is and the power of who he is, it is impossible for you to say, God, Here's my life. I'm going to lay everything out on the table before you. I surrender to you. God, I'm going to live every day for you and not see a change in your life. If you don't notice and start seeing something, or if people don't notice a change in your life, there's a good chance and you're, you're probably holding on to certain areas and certain sin and certain things in your life that you're like, man, God, I'm, I'm so close. Here it all is. 95% is pretty good. And then we wonder why God withholds so much from us. See, we're talking about the, the lukewarm passage. We, you know, we present ourselves to the Lord in a manner that is stale and stagnant. And we want God to be satisfied with us in an unsatisfying taste. And we say, God, here I am. Consume me. I taste like crap. And we expect God to give us all that he has to offer, even though we're very reluctant to give him all that we are. We say, God, I want all your blessings. I want all your grace, all your mercy, your provision, all your financial support. I want your, uh, the status among my people, all this stuff. I want everything that you could possibly give me and offer me, but I'm reluctant to give you all that I am. And we wonder, we're like, why, why is there still this, this, callous on my heart. Why, why can't I truly move forward with you? Because you're probably holding things back from God and not in full surrender. The last uh, part of the verse, it says that once you realize God's mercy, once you offer your body as a sacrifice to the Lord, once you start moving and worshiping the Lord truly and properly, with surrender, and your mind is renewed and you're transformed as a person. He says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and his perfect will. 
I had to admit in the first service that um, a lot of the times at the house and even last night, we love to bust and make fun of dad when he speaks because he'll be like, you know, the literal translation of so-and-so Greek word is this. And we're like, why do you do that? Like, we always just poke fun and mess with him. And then I started preparing uh, for this for this message today, and I started reading and trying to learn what it meant here in this test and approving of God's will. And it came up, and it started giving me definitions of certain words. And I was like, "Man, I'm gonna sound like Dad up there." Like, <laughs> literal translation and definition is this. And so I had to apologize to him in the first service, and in front of y'all, I'll apologize again because I'm gonna do it now. But so he says that once we surrender, we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is for our lives. And the translations are in your bulletin, so you can make the best attempt at a, uh, saying these words as I'm going to. But the word for will in the Greek is the word dilemma, which means a desire and refers to the desire that God wants humans to comply with him, but it's not forced and may not occur. So basically it is the desire for us to want to want God in everyday occurrences. So it's God saying, I want you to want me in everyday occurrences. It's not, God, what is my, the will for my life and the purpose for my life, like this grand, huge, final destination. He's saying, no, no, the word for will here is day-to-day occurrences. So he's saying, you're going to be able to test and approve, which is the Greek word, I had a hard time saying it in the first service, and I'm going to have a hard time saying it now. It is dokimazo. <laughs> like I said, you can try to say it yourself. But the word for test and approve here basically describes someone whose authenticity has been tested and shown to be genuine. So God is saying, in day-to-day occurrences, I want you to seek me out in everything. I don't want to just you seek me out when you're trying to figure out, God, who am I going to marry? Or... or, or where am I going to go and get work or with my family or where am I going to go to school? It's not these huge grand life decisions that God's like, I only need you to seek me out in these huge things. He's saying, no, no, no. I want you to seek me out in all the little things in life. I'm a huge fan and believer and appreciating the little things in life. For whatever reason, I appreciate it. I appreciate certain smells in the summer of grass being cut. I enjoy the smell of a candle when I walk into a house, right? I enjoy the small little training aspects that go in to getting to play the game that I love. And there's so many little things in life that the Lord has shown me how to appreciate. And God said, I'm just like that. I'm the one that made you, right? I'm the one that gave you the desire to appreciate the little things in life. He said, I appreciate the little things in life too. I appreciate when you seek me out in the small things in life. I appreciate that. Like, just some examples for me. I have a, I'm a bad sleeper. I just don't sleep well for whatever reason. Mom at one point was like, well, do you have a guilty conscience? Do you need to confess something? I said, I wish. <laughs> I wish because if that was the case, I would call somebody up and be like, I've done this wrong and this wrong and this wrong and this wrong. But I was like, I just don't sleep. So I pray a lot. Lord, help me to rest tonight. Wake me up tomorrow. Give me a good attitude and a passionate heart at work tomorrow, whether I'm enjoying the work I'm having to do or not. All right, when I train, Lord, Thank you for an able body that allows me to train. I see guys, me and Ash, we see guys in the weight room that are in handy, or, uh, they're handicapped in wheelchairs, and they're still in there working out. Like, man, I have an able body. Thank you. So you start learning to appreciate these little things in life. And God says, I appreciate when you seek me in the little things. 
I want you to walk with me in the small things in life every single day. He says to test and approve what God's will is. He's like, it's going to be through trial and error sometimes. You're going to seek me, and you're going to ask for my guidance in some areas, and sometimes you're going to think I led you in a certain way, and it might go a little bit skew. It might go right. But he said, over time of trial and error, testing and approving, you're going to start to be able to find this path and this will in a day-to-day life that the Lord wants you to follow. But only through complete and utter surrender to the Lord. We seek him in everything over time with certain fails and successes. And God's desire and his will, his ultimate will for us, will begin to be able to be seen in our day-to-day lives. Submit, God, I'm yours. In view of God, in view of your mercy, all of this that you withhold from me, if nothing else, if nothing else, I challenge you to go home, sit on your couch or in your bed, somewhere quiet, and start thinking of, what do I deserve? Look back at your life. We don't live in the past, right? But you can look back and be like, man, all this that I've done in my life and all this as a sinner that I live and I was born into, there's so much that I rightfully deserve that the Lord withholds from me. And he said, in view of that, if nothing else, surrender to me. We submit, we surrender, we trust, we start to move forward and we can begin to be radically changed by the new mind and the heart that the Lord puts in us. I'm going to wrap it up with this real quick. I was, I'm not really an emotional guy. I mean, I can be, you know, emotional up and down. I'm not like a crier, so I'm not, I usually don't cry ever. But last weekend, uh, we were watching the movie The Shack, and I don't want to ruin it if no one's seen it, and if you want to, but basically the main character spends a weekend in the woods with, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And he starts, the Trinity basically starts to work through him with issues in his life and starts helping him to overcome and to heal with certain things. And there's another main character played by Tim McGraw who is kind of a companion of the guy. And so when the main character gets back from this weekend trip at the cabin, spending with God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, he's sitting there and he looks at the guy played by Tim McGraw and he said, oh, Nathan, by the way, Papa said to tell you that he's fond of you. And he said that, and it, it just grabbed my heart. I started tearing up. I was like, man, I want to live my life in a way, in a manner that when God looks down, he says, Benji, I'm fond of you. The way that you live your life, the surrender that you have, the way that you love people, the way that you care and are passionate about the things that you do, the way you seek me in day-to-day occurrences, and I'm proud of you. I'm fond of you. I'm so, so joyed and overwhelmed when I look down. I'm like, yes. Like, that should be what we all desire. I want to live my life in a way that God's like, man, I'm proud of you. That can only happen when you fully put your crap aside and say, God, I can't run my life anymore. You've got to. Utter, complete surrender. Surrender.